It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you. The phone number is 973-667-1960. We'll get to your calls in just a bit. As a reminder, we only have one line, so if the phone is busy, like it is right now because Dan Salamone's on the line, just call back a little bit later and we'll be sure to get you through. We had the schedule release a couple of days ago. You heard from Paul on that yesterday. Lance and I have yet to give our opinions. We'll do that today. We'll also give you a very brief preview of what's going to be probably a fairly brief rookie mini camp based on the number of players that are going to be in attendance. So <laughs> we'll touch on all of that and more in the next hour. Mr. Dottino, Mr. Meadow, gentlemen, happy Friday to you. Great day out there. Rookie mini camp. Guys on the field. I'm pumped up, John. Lance is probably not quite as pumped up. No, I can't say I equal his <laughs> level because I understand how to put things in perspective and guys getting on the field is a very small step. And an inch closer, but a small inch to the NFL regular there season. There is no equal to me, Lance. It's okay. That, that was, I, was no, I understand. <laughs> but, I mean, once again, there's only so much you could take away from rookie making. It's, it's a sickness. You understand, understand that. that. It yes. is a sickness. That oh, would, that's no doubt about it. As long as you're willing to publicly confirm it, then we I can am. all just jump on the bandwagon. I am. That is an impossible standard to hold yourself to. So <laughs> I would not expect anyone to do such things. But I do hold this following guest to a high standard. He's, of course, uh, I don't even know what his title is, editor, staff writer, all the things that he does, poster, internet guy, Dan Salamone. He joins us right now. Uh, we haven't heard from Dan in about a month because we're all crazy busy with draft stuff and other things as well. But now he joins us for his weekly spot to ask Paul, Lance, and I hopefully some very tough and interesting questions. Mr. Salamone, happy Friday to you, sir. Hey, how are we doing, guys? We're good, Hi, man. Doing so, well, Dan. Dan, uh, we're, we're out of draft season. Uh, have you recovered from the fact that the Giants did not draft anyone from Ohio State? Yeah, or sign them, yeah. This is, it's getting a little out of control these days. Well, on the bright <laughs> side, they, were, they didn't bring in any Michigan guys or yeah. Penn State guys or Michigan State guys, so I guess that helps a little bit, right? Okay. Uh, I still have Big Ten pride, so I, I would have had to deal with that. Very good. All right, you got some probing questions for us, Mr. Salomon. I do. It is a Friday, so I thought we'd start off with a little fact or fiction. How do you guys feel about that? Awesome. All right. Um, as you guys know, we play Kansas City and the Buccaneers. It's the first time the Giants have played the previous Super Bowl um, champion. It's the first time since 2000. And my fact or fiction statement to you is Kansas City will be the tougher matchup than Tampa Bay. Lance, why don't you take that one first? I'll go fiction on this. I think Tampa Bay is the more difficult matchup because I just think the Bucks, Dan, it's a more balanced team. And I'm going based on, of course, what they're bringing back. I would say the Bucks' defense poses a bigger challenge on all three levels. Their secondary was very strong last year. They got some production out of the young guys. We know their linebacking core is one of the best, and they pretty much brought back everybody up front. So I don't think Kansas City's defense, at least as it stands right now, based on what they're bringing back, matches Tampa Bay. So unless there's a major injury or a huge development, I would say as it stands right now, the Week 11 matchup with Tampa Bay much tougher than Kansas City. Paul, how about you? Yeah, I would agree with uh, Lance based on the rosters and the personnel. But then again, Tom Brady's 43 years old, and I could have sworn last year he was not going to make it through the season. And somehow that Buccaneers offensive line not only kept him upright, but did a sensational job and played so far better than I think anybody could have expected. Can they do that again in 2021? I'm not so sure that I would bet that Brady gets through the full season healthy. And since the Giants don't play Tampa until the middle of the schedule, in fact, it's right after the Giants' bye week in Week 10, I'm going to suggest that maybe Brady isn't available to play that game, and it makes it an easier game for the Giants. And even though Kansas City does not have the defensive personnel that Tampa does, they've got one Steve Spagnuolo who everybody knows I have the utmost respect for. So I'm going to let my heart kind of get in the way here, too. And I'm going to say that Kansas City is the tougher opponent of the two. The Chiefs' regular season success since Pat Mahomes has become their starter has been unprecedented. I mean, it's just they're great every year, and they're very difficult to beat. 
He provides challenges that the Bucks offense does not just from his skill set. The Giants played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers very close last year. They were extremely competitive. Now, I do think the Bucs were a much better team by the end of the year than they were the week they faced the Giants. But I think the Giants also, that was the start of their improvement uh, against that Bucs team. But I'm going to go with the Chiefs, and, and I'll throw in this reason. Now, look, you can't go wrong. Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, right? But <laughs> I think it's a lot more difficult to win in Kansas City than it is to win in Tampa Bay. That's very true, John. Because you know that in that Tampa Bay Stadium, even though all those fans are jacked up because of the Super Bowl and all that stuff, there are going to be at least 20,000 Giant fans in that building. They will find their way in, they'll get there, and they're going to be wearing their blue jerseys, and they're going to be rooting for the Giants. I promise you that. Besides, I mean, it's going to be tough. Do you know how many Giant fans are going to be in that Kansas City Stadium Bowl? couple thousand, maybe, because Chief fans are legit, and they are going to be at that game at a night game, and they are going to be loud, and that place is a really tough place to win. The Bucks game is off a bye, which does give that a little bit of an edge. Don't care. I think the Chiefs game is a little bit tougher because these Super Bowl champions always seem to have a little bit of a dip in their year after winning. So I'm going to go with the Chiefs, but it's close. I think also Tampa Bay, you got to take into consideration, it's going to have a lot more continuity on both sides of the ball this year. Remember, they were all learning everything new on offense last year with Brady at the controls. And I think even if you go back to that Giants matchup, they were still getting a feel for one another. Remember, they clicked coming off of their late 13 bye and did not lose a game after that all the way into the playoffs. So the reason why I'm even more confident in the Bucks this season, I think by the time Week 11 rolls around, just imagine where their offense is going to be in their comfort level compared to where it was last year in week number 11. All right, Danny, question two. Number two, who is going to be the toughest challenge in the NFC East? One of my favorite stats is that it hasn't been a repeat champion uh, since the Eagles won four in a row in the early 2000s. Who's the biggest challenger this year? Yeah, we just talked about Andy Reid with the Chiefs, right? Well, the last time you had an NFC East repeat was Andy Reid and Donovan McNabb mm-hmm. with the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, a lot of our younger fans probably don't even remember that, that are listening to this podcast or listening live right now. So that's a good question, Dan. And I think you could take this a bunch of different ways, but I'm always going to come back to the quarterback position because it's the most important position on the field. And I'm going to go with Dallas just because I know, I know the Dallas offense is going to be really good. Now, if their offensive line gets hurt again and falls apart, sure. But I I can't predict injuries. I don't know what's going to happen there. So I'm not going to predict that. I know the Dallas offense is going to be really, really good, probably a top five, six unit in the league. Now, their defense was a mess last year, and there's a chance that it's just as bad this year. Dan Quinn hopes to replace that. Uh, They've drafted a million players on defense to hope to fix that. It's close. I can make the same warrant for Washington, right? We know Washington's defense is going to be really good. We just don't know about their offense with Ryan Fitzpatrick. You can make the same argument, and it's a fair one. But I'm going to go with Dallas just because I have the most faith in Dak Prescott as compared to the other quarterbacks in the division. So I'm going to go with Dallas. Paul, how about you? Well, when you play the percentages, I will always go with the team that's got the better defense first. So for me, I think the Cowboys are a solid third-place team. Philadelphia, I'm already writing them off. Uh, they know that they're in a rebuilding mold, and it's going to be a couple of years, and they got to get themselves a quarterback Paul, you anyway. just kissed death this whole thing. You so, just so rode off the Eagles in May. Philly now they're going to win. Place team. Now they're going to win 10 games and win the yeah, division, and exactly. it's going to be all your fault. I know, and I'll, and, I'll, <laughs> and I'll take the rap. I'll take it if that's what happens. But I see, I see they, are, they are guaranteed fourth place. Dallas is a solid third-place team. This thing is between the Giants and the Washington football team, and I don't think there's much doubt in my mind about that at all. Well, if you look at recent history, it's very rare that a team completely eliminates itself from the conversation, especially early in the season. I think the Eagles are going to be that quiet, tricky team that everybody writes off, and they remain competitive. I don't think they're going to win the division. I think they have the most question marks, but they're still the land of the unknown. New scheme, and remember, that actually turned out to be a benefit this past season with the division. Everything was new in Washington, and they wound up winning it all. So I'm not so quick to dismiss Philadelphia. I think it comes down to Dallas and Washington. Dak Prescott's by far the best proven quarterback in the division. I don't think there's any debate from that standpoint, at least from a consistency. But Washington has the better defense, so you could easily make arguments for both sides of the ball. I'll go with Dallas mainly because until somebody wins back-to-back division titles, how could you bet with Washington? The history books are against them, 
it would be in favor of Dallas more so winning the division than it would be Washington unless this unbelievable drought comes to an end. So I'll give Dallas the slight edge. Their offense is not the concern. The question is, can their defense improve? I think their defense can improve. And if you slightly improve that Dallas defense, that makes that team that much more dangerous. You know, fellas, what I find really odd about this is that you're both ignoring the two biggest issues here against Philadelphia. One is quarterback. They obviously have the worst quarterback position in the in the whoa, conference whoa, whoa, in, the, in the division. Hold on a second, I agree with you, Paul. If I was to pick right now, I would put Philadelphia in fourth place. Okay. I agree. Okay, with you. Yeah, right, I wasn't picking cool. Philadelphia to win. I made that clear. And but I just said I, you're sort of completely dismissing them. At least my interpretation of well, what you said. Let's put it I this would way: we spent the whole them. year talking about how new coaching staffs, under the protocols and pandemic rules, which are still in place right now, they're not a whole lot different than what they were last year. They've inched a little bit closer to normalcy, but not much. And we talked about what a detriment it was for all of the first-year coaching staffs last season to try to 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 you know get out of that quagmire. Now, Washington did win the division with a new coaching staff, but look what they did it with, a seven-win season. So, no, I think Philadelphia has tremendous hurdles to overcome. Oh. They're, they're the fourth-place team. No, Paul, I agree. If you were to predict right now, that would be the fourth-place team. I was just teasing you because of your certainty that you were putting the hex on the whole well, thing. It's, 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 but know, he, here's the other factor. Washington started three different quarterbacks last year and still managed to win the division. Granted, it was a down year. That's another reason why, once again, I'm not dismissing Philadelphia simply because Jalen Hurts, people don't have an overwhelming amount of confidence. I'm not saying they should, but there's also not much known about Jalen Hurts and how he'll function within this offense or whether or not that is the guy. I don't know. Maybe they go in a different direction. Maybe they go with Joe Flacco to start the season. Who knows at this point? Now, yeah, that's going to go real well for them, won't it? Now, the interesting thing here, guys, that I think is fascinating is the schedules because if you take a look at this, Philadelphia to start the year, the schedule makers were not kind to them. At Atlanta home versus the Niners, at the Cowboys, home versus the Chiefs, at the Panthers, home versus the Bucks. Those are the first six games. So they could easily, Paul, be 1-5 and five out of the sure, games. Sure, sure. And then at Oakland, by the way, is their next game. And they or may Las be Vegas. on their third yeah. quarterback, yeah, sorry, Jamie Vegas, Newman, you. by the time they get to Week 10. Yeah, look, exactly. So, look, I'm with you. I think that could be a real problem. Now, the opposite here is Dallas. Other than that Bucks game to start the year, they don't play a team that made the playoffs mm -hmm. last year. That's true. Until November 21st. <laughs> That's true. And, and I'm, I have all three schedules up right here. So after the Bucks, Dallas gets at LA, home versus Philly, home versus Carolina, home versus Giants, at New England, at Minnesota, home versus Denver, home versus Atlanta. So those are a lot of winnable games. Now, obviously, they're going to win all those games. Absolutely mm -hmm. not. That's the way the you know cookie crumbles. But they have the chance to get off to a fast start. And just for fairness, Washington starts home versus the Chargers, home versus the Giants, at Buffalo, at Atlanta, home versus the Saints, home versus the Chiefs, at Packers, at Broncos, home versus the Bucks. So I would say those two teams probably have much tougher schedules to start the year Agreed. than, than Dallas does. So I think if you're talking midseason, just based off the schedules, Dallas would probably be in the best position. The problem is that Dallas has just a nightmare gauntlet to end the year with a bunch of really, really good teams. So and I think it'll be a, one of those divisions where we get swings based on opponent strength of schedule throughout the year. But I think, look, you can make an argument for Dallas's offense or you can make an argument for Washington's defense, and I think both are, are pretty valid. Well, Dan, could what, we, uh, could we all agree, though, that, that the Giants and Washington clearly have the two best defenses in the division? Yes, and and I still go with the core belief that defense, if you're going to flip a coin, you got to always favor the defense. Well, but once again, you also need to score points. And I think that was proven last year within this division, too. And the Giants, if we're at least going to look through this lens, we want to see an improvement and not just a field goal improvement, but almost near a well, touchdown improvement. Which, so, team, which team won the division last year? The team with the best defense. Well, right, but, right? but, but Paul, Paul Washington also defense was able to manufacture points, though, is what no, defense is what won the Paul, division. I, I agree, I agree. But if Dak Prescott is healthy, how many more wins do the Cowboys have? Yeah. Don't know how that defense is going to come together with a bunch of new points. No, 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 But they're going to manufacture more points. No, no, but Paul, here's my point. Yeah, but if they lose 38 to 35, what does it matter? Paul, 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 you skip my question. We know Dallas's defense was historically bad last year, right? Right. But if you put Prescott in there for 16 games last year instead of five, what do they get? Two more wins? Yeah. And does that win the division? 
Yeah, I see your point. That's my point. I see so their point. defense can still be terrible, right? They could still be terrible and, and still And they can wind still be around 500. Uh, so again, that's why but that's why I picked them third instead of fourth. Oh no, and 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 and, and I <laughs> and I think you would say they were their Dallas would probably be closer to Washington and New York than to Philly, right? Yes. Okay. I think that's more than fair. Dan, what do you think? I'm, I think I'm leaning toward Paul here. I think Washington, I think until somebody knocks them off. I think they've been, we talked about giant stockpiling picks for the future. They've been stockpiling first rounders on that defense. And with Ron Rivera, I think they're going to be the, the toughest out this year of the, of the three NFC opponents. Very good. All right, Dan, question three. All right, last, last schedule one. Uh, giants head back to New Orleans, which last time was that incredible game between Breeze and Manning, mm. 13 combined touchdowns. That had me thinking, what's the most memorable regular season game you guys have covered? Oh, boy. Now, this is one I wish I had some time for to think about. Most unbelievable regular season game. <laughs> the good one, probably, there's two. I remember the JPP blocked field goal against Dallas. That was a really good game. The end of game, end of season game against Carolina. Um, to I think that was to make it into the playoffs, Paul. Right? Yeah. That was a that really was good regular season game. Yeah, they ran for like yeah. three hundred yards. That was a really fun game. <sighs> Boy, all right. Paul, if you have one in your holster, do you want to go while I give this some more thought? Well, the problem with that is, you know, I'm, I'm entering my 39th yes, season. Yes, you have a lot of years going So, I mean, I could literally pick two dozen games and not differentiate between any of them. But if you really wanted to force me to go for one, probably Tiki Barber's 200-yard game that honored Wellington Mara after Mr. Mm. Mara passed away at the Meadowlands. That's a good one. Uh, that, that was emotionally... A very, very difficult game for me because I was so close to Mr. Mara. And his whole family was there. And it was, I mean, you know, it was very, very difficult, you know, that that game because of the circumstances. And they had put his picture up on the scoreboard. And it was, uh, it was just, it just ripped your guts out, you know, because he wasn't there anymore. And Tiki just went absolutely bonkers. And then he gave the uh, one after he, he ran for one of the big touchdowns in the game. He gave the game ball to uh, to Wells' grandson. So for that reason, I'm going to bring that one up. How about you, Lance? Well, I would put the Saints Giants game that Dan referenced at the top of the list. I don't think anything tops that. I mean, that was remarkable to see 13 combined passing touchdowns in that game and just a crazy back and forth effort, and then ultimately a crazier ending. So, I mean, that to me will always be at the top of the list. I'll say a close second would be in the 2011 season, the game against New England in the regular season when Manning hit Jake Ballard for the go-ahead game-winning touchdown and they squeaked out the 24-20 victory. That was also a very entertaining affair that I think deserves consideration. Is it wrong that I'm going to take, like, the Bill Parcells path here and I think Paul knows what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. I remember the bad ones more than I do the good ones. <laughs> No, I do. It's like okay. th- those are the ones that I remember, and they stick with you, right? I mean, they, they just oh. stick in the side. They just—it's like a shiv in your side, and it's just there, and you can't get rid of it. Those are the ones that I remember. I, I mean, the Matt Dodge game is just one that you want to slam your face against the wall. Mm-hmm. But I, and look, maybe it's Altoon a product- beating Tom Flynn in the end zone. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you go back. You know, one of the game sticks out for me only because I remember afterwards what the panic was. The 2007 Eli Manning game against the Vikings, where he oh. just kept throwing it to him again and again. Sharper. Yeah, Darren Sharper killed him. Yeah. Uh, that's a game that, that sticks in my head. And for some reason, those bad games. And, you know, the other game that sticks in my head, too, it was a loss, but in the end it was a good game, is the final regular season game against the Patriots when they're undefeated. Mm-hmm. That, that's a game that I remember Historic. really well. Yeah, because people were, you know, were talking, are the Giants going to play anybody going in? And Tom Coffin throws down the gauntlet. We're playing people. We're trying to win the game. And it was a really, really fun game, too. So those are the ones that, that kind of stick out for me. How about you, Danny? Personally, I think uh, Eli's last start at home, just because I, I had a cool assignment for that game. I was kind of undercover. That's right. Kind of like the crew on the sidelines. So I got to do a cool feature. Just seeing that from sideline and then the emotion of just watching it play out. When you're on the sideline, you know, as you guys know, you don't really know exactly everything that's going on they're talking about on TV. But just watching that play out in real time was very, very special and watching him 
you know, run out, um, run into the tunnel um, and greet his family after the game. That was definitely a memorable one for That me. was very cool. That, 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 that is a really good one, Dan. All right, question four. All right, last one. Switching gears, rookie minicamp. I know they're not going to be showing you the playbook today, but what are you guys looking for? Um, they'll also be meeting with the media. We'll hear from Coach Judge. Uh, what do you guys think about that? I just want to see the guys move around. You know, the, the the sad thing is that we didn't have a chance to go to the Senior Bowl this year, Dan. That's something me and you usually get to do every year, so we actually get to see these guys. You know, fairly close. You know, you sit in the front of the stands. You're, what, like 50 feet away from these guys, you know, 20, 30 yards. It's, you're pretty close, and you get to see how these guys move. Now, we got to watch it on tape this year. It's not the same. You know, at the Combine, you don't get to see them work out up close, but at least you get to walk up to them at the podium, and you can see their body type up close. Like, I still remember when we were at the Combine, and I went to Saquon Barkley's podium, and I remember tweeting this out. His legs were like oak trees. <laughs> they were just gigantic, and you don't have a feel for that until you're next to the guy, right? Now, we're not going to be that close to these guys this week to get that impression because of the restrictions that are still in place that hopefully, God willing, will be gone in a few months. But I just want to see these guys move around, see their athleticism in person. Hopefully, we'll get some full-speed drills. I don't think we're going to get a lot of team stuff, but if we get some full-speed drills just to see these guys move, that's that's kind of what I'm looking forward to because, it, Paul, there's nothing like seeing these guys up close and personal to get a feel for what they look like athletically. John, you know how important rookie minicamp is to me. I pick out my dark horse, undrafted rookie free agent to make the team every spring. I can't do that this time because we're not going to see plays. The Giants are going to have 22 players, supposedly, out on the field today. And it's only going to be for an hour today and an hour tomorrow. And from what I understand, it's going to be mostly coaches' instructions and maybe some positional drills. That's it. They're not even going to do snaps. So, you know, how can, how can I digest any of this? No, for me, it's just being able to get back to the facility because the pandemic rules have forced us away to get back to the facility, to get back on the patio, to get back to see these guys on the field in a helmet, in a jersey. That gets me pumped up. But in terms of being able to digest anything, I just don't know that there's going to be anything to really digest. Yeah, I would echo Paul's sentiments. I don't think there's really going to be anything to digest. Let's face it. There's only so much you can take away from two hours worth of practice over the course of two days and tell me that that's going to apply to what we're going to see in the regular season. I think if there's any guy in particular, just to see up close and personal, it would be Ellerson Smith because he didn't play at all last season. So considering you didn't have any film to look at of 2020 games, that would be the one player, if you would ask me to hone in on, who I think is worth seeing up close and personal, just to see him run around, how he looks, because it's been quite some time since he's actually been in a situation where he's even run drills in a team setting. But outside of that, everybody else has pretty much been on the field or in some type of a game situation throughout the course of 2020. So Ellerson Smith, to me, is the guy to watch if you're going to put anyone under the magnifying glass. And I'm going to throw in how advanced Paul's tan is on May 14th would be my other thing I'm really looking forward to seeing. I'm doing pretty well, John. I'm sure you are. You'll, you'll see me in a couple of hours. I'm doing pretty well. Yes, right now, Paul and I are still in our basements, but we will be at the facility at around 2 o'clock to, to get this thing started. All right, Danny, anything left to add? Well, I, I just want to say thanks to Lance and Paul. We're trying to drive some traffic to Giants.com, so I think they, they thoroughly did, they did the opposite approach. Well, Jan, I was, uh, was going to say the same thing, but make sure, don't, don't miss all the can't miss coverage on Giants.com. Check it out. Exactly, exactly, yeah. I don't know, yeah. But along those lines, in terms of excitement, how about I leave you with one more? Which mid to late round pick are you guys? Do you guys think could have a legitimate impact on this team this year? Whew. Mid, you would say after third round, you wouldn't count Aaron Robinson. Yeah, that? start starting with the third round. How about that? Starting well, with the third round. If you go late round, don't you automatically have to go third day only? No, I mean, I mean, Dan said mid, mid to mid late, to late round. mid to late, mid to late. Yeah, I, I, that you think will have an impact right away. That's interesting. Or in the long term, or in the long run, if you want to go that way. <laughs> well, that changes things. That up. changes everything. Well, I am. I am. I'm, I'm going to steal Lance's answer for this one. I'm going to go with Ellerson Smith, just because I think he has the body type for it. He has the athleticism for it. If he can figure things out, uh, I think Ellerson Smith is the easy answer here. So. Uh, I'm going to go there more long-term. I think he could be a designated pass rusher on passing downs a little bit as a rookie, depending on where he's at. But I think long-term, it's Ellerson Smith. You know, the interesting part about this, John, 
And I look at Ellerson Smith and I say to myself, at the very least, right, you think if he's going to get a uniform on game day, he's going to be on special teams. And I remember how Kerry Wynn, as a defensive edge rusher and a lineman, made a really good name for himself on special teams, even though he wasn't initially part of the defensive line rotation. And it wasn't showing up in the box score. You know, you didn't see splash plays. But the coaches kept telling you, Kerry Wynn is just kicking butt on special teams. So I wonder if Ellerson Smith, at the very least, if he doesn't put up any stats on the defensive side of the line of scrimmage, is going to give the Giants some really good special teams play that the common folks won't even notice. And then, Lance, I would say, too, look, Aaron Robinson's the obvious one that would help sure. now. You step in, you know, compete with Darnay Holmes in the slot. Yeah, but, I mean, I'm going to go a little bit deeper into the draft because, I mean, I think that was the whole heart of Dan's question. I think along the same lines that Paul was going with special teams, if Gary Brightwell makes the team, and I'm sure he's got a good chance of being the third running back, you know, that's a guy that could step on the field day one and contribute to all four special teams units. So, you know, that would be a guy that I would point to where you're not worried about what he's going to do on offense or defense, but you know there's going to be a place for him on special teams, and you know he's got the enthusiasm and the passion for it. So I think that would be a guy that could make an immediate impact because he could play all four teams. He could get consistent playing time. And if he hustles and makes a play here or there, there's no reason why he can't put his stamp on the team. So I would probably lean towards him more so than maybe any other rookie because a lot depends on playing time for some of these first-year players outside, of course, of the first two picks, I would say, in the draft. How about you, Danny? Yeah, I think Allison Smith, I think that's the, the interesting one of him just bulking up from 190 to 260 or whatever it was. Um, I think, yeah, in the long term, that development will be definitely one to watch. So, Danny, tell the folks, what can they expect from Giants.com over the weekend for Rookie Minicamp? Oh, everything. Well, big thing, too, will be the media. Uh, it's always, you know, we haven't heard from Coach since the draft. Uh, we'll see what he thinks of the guys on the field. Um, we have photos, highlights, which Lance and Paul did a good job of saying there might not be that many, but at least we'll see them moving around and everything like that. So, you'll be watching us on uh, yeah, Giants.com and all of our social accounts, of course. Danny, have a great weekend, my friend. We'll talk to you next week, right, pal? Okay. See you, Danny. Hi, Dan. Danny Salamone, of course, uh, you see his face and his his musings and writings on Giants.com every single week. All right, we guys, let him down, didn't we? What do you mean? We, we kind of burst his bubble. You and he Lance really did, looking, absolutely. He was really he looking forward bubble. to some big-time headlines out of today's practice. Well, he's, oh. he's just trying to promote the content, and you guys, know. you know, just took your big bucket of water. Well, Danny's going to do his bad. job. Regardless well, of what happens. If it's worth anything to, to anybody, I'm really pumped up and excited about going down there, even if we don't see anything. Well, that's why I was, that's why I was surprised. I, Lance, I'm used to you know, you know, putting wet blankets on. But, Paul, I was, I was very surprised you did, well, to be quite honest with you. Because there's not, you know, honestly, honestly, this, this is going to be like a pizza without the cheese and the sauce. <laughs> it's very, very plain. It really is. Right. It's well, just it sounds like the, as if you haven't left left the house in about like five months. It's, the way it's you're like talking. the it's like the pizza dough. Now, in but, fairness, but that's Lance, okay. He, he has not been in that facility for about five months. I get that, but I mean, it's no different than leaving the house and going to the store for the first time or going any other place. You really I mean, think for Paul Dottino, going into the supermarket is the same as walking into the uh, Quest Diagnostics Trading Center? You are out of your well, mind. I'm not saying it's the equivalent. It's just, to me, I've been at the facility so many times, it's no different when you walk in for the 150th time versus the Lance, 160th time. It's, it's nearly just, 30. It's again, this is my 39th season. I still I get, get chills every single time. And that's fine. And I'm not preventing you from feeling that way. I'm just telling you where I'm coming from because John was like, you know, he's used to me. I'm not fake enthusiasm. I'm not going to put on a dog no, and pony show no. just for the you sake of rookie real. minicamp. You got to be real, but it's like yeah, walking and into so Yankee that's me. Stadium I'm being real. or working, walking into the Mecca, Madison Square Garden. There's nothing like it. You have to get goosebumps when you walk now, into that Paul, building. Paul, you have to understand that you, know, Lance, you have to. Lance doesn't generally get very enthusiastic about anything, so you have to no, understand that's not his true. point of view. I pick and choose my moments to be enthusiastic. <laughs> then it, it, it's more that's meaningful. It's yeah, more Lance meaningful. got pumped up watching Michael Jordan play minor league baseball. So what does that say? Well, what is that supposed to be, a shot at the guy? See, you always like to open up Pandora's box as if he didn't win enough on the basketball court at the Madison Square Garden that you just talked about. Speaking of goosebumps. Yeah, I shouldn't have gone there, right, John? that was a very bad decision. It really was. I know.
I know. 973-667-1960. 973-667-1960. Hey, guys, let's get vaccinated. Go to COVID19.nj.gov slash vaccine to register. And don't forget, limited giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. One other thing before we get to the calls, and we have a caller on hold here. Did either of you, because I've been, I, I DVR'd all the paths to the drafts on NFL Network last week. Did either of you watch the Gettleman interview with Daniel Jeremiah and Charles Davis last Thursday? Yes. I, maybe this, you mentioned it on one of the shows, Paul, and I missed it because I was screening a call or something. And I really haven't seen it out there. Then again, I'm not really reading other papers. But he basically confirmed that the two guys the Giants were targeting when he traded down were Kadarius Toney and Jamin Davis, mm-hmm. wh- which yeah. I thought was interesting. He meant, yeah, he had mentioned that at the time the Giants picked, the uh, Washington football team had just picked Davis before them at 19, and he said we would have been just thrilled to get either him or Tony at that point. Now, he did not mention who else might have been in their cluster because usually they try to cluster four or five guys. A pod at, is kind of what they call it, right? Yeah. yeah. It, well, I call it a cluster, but yes, I understand. And it's four or five guys. It can be as many as six at their anticipated pick. And they tried to say, okay, can we have that many guys who we'd be happy with if they drop to that particular number? In this case, he simply mentioned they would have been just thrilled to get either Davis or Tony when they got to 20 and the uh, Washington team took Davis. And that would have really sent a lot of people into a loop because I don't remember anybody picking Davis to the Giants on any of the pre-draft previews. Well, I mean, I don't think anyone picked Darius Tony to the Giants yeah. either, so it would have been the same type well, of Well, don't deal, you know, right? mock drafts are extremely on point leading up to yeah, the draft yeah. anyway. So. Well, but at I least mean, people thought no. they could take a receiver. Right. How many people really had them taking a linebacker outside of potentially Parsons, which you saw drips and drafts? Well, the problem is that no one thought Jamin Davis would be there at 42. So he was one of those guys that no one— 20. Well, no, but when we talked going into the draft, we didn't think they'd be picking 20. That's right. You know what right, I mean? Right. So we didn't think he was an option at 11. We didn't right. think he'd get to 42. Right. So he was just one of those guys that we didn't talk about much, frankly, kind of just like Kadarius Tony, right? We thought they would be off the board in that 20 to 35 area. Yeah. So the Giants would yeah. never get a chance to pick him. They would be out of the Giants' neighborhood in both picks. Right, exactly. Yeah. Correct. They were in that middle tier where those guys would be gone. And Gettleman also said, by the way, that both those guys were in that pot of players they would have picked at 11 once, you know, the Eagles traded up and took Devontae Smith. So they ended up getting the same guys from that pod or cluster, tier, however you want to refer Mm -hmm. to it, that would have been in the mix of 12 anyway, and they just selected that player at number 20. 973-667-1960. Let's get to the calls. Caller, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hi, John. This is Bruce in Albany. Hi, Bruce. Uh, everybody says that Tony's kind of a gadget receiver and a freelancer. I don't know, with with his physical assets, why he can't be taught to become a good route runner. Oh, sure he can. And if you look at the Patriots, I think our coach has some association with them. Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, Danny Amendola. They've always had these great slot receivers that put up ridiculous numbers. And yeah, to- uh, Tony, Tony's Tony- a completely different type of, of, of player than those guys, though. His build, the way he plays, he's a run-after-catch guy. Those mm-hmm. guys are more of a, you know, you know, expert route runners, quickness out of the break. And Tony has that in him, but I, I would not put him in that category of player. I think, frankly, he has the athleticism and physical ability to be more dynamic than those guys, to be quite honest with you. Well, the only difference is if he can be taught to become a really good route runner, once he gets the ball in his hand, he can be better than those guys. Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Very possible. I mean, Edelman was a quarterback like Tony, so Mm -hmm. he had that background to also be a passer, but I think there's more dynamic playmaking ability that Tony brings to the table. No, but when, when you're a quarterback and now you're a receiver, you're sympathetic to the idea that that you know, you you've been on both ends. You, you know, you just can't just decide to go one way instead of the other. You gotta you gotta work together. He understands that being an ex quarterback. Well, so he I, understands I, it, but he still has to figure out how to do it, which is the trick. Remember, it took him four years 
to really get on the field at Florida. So it was a process for him there. I'm sure it'll be a process for him in the NFL to become that more nuanced wide receiver. But look, he has, to, to your point, he has every physical trait in the box to win as a traditional wide receiver if he learns the craft. And by the way, I even think he could be an outside receiver if yeah. he learns the craft well enough. So yeah, absolutely, 100%. I think he's got all the tangibles. The point is, he's far from a finished product right now. And I don't think anybody expects that, even out of a first-round pick. Good. That means he's got more upside. Anyway, you mentioned uh, Rookie Media Day. Now, in that movie Bull Durham, there was a great line. And it was, you got to get your cliches down. Do, do the Giants have a cliche coach <laughs> so they can teach the rookies not to actually say anything? Uh, well, look, they have a media relations staff, and, and they, of course— <laughs> try to help the rookies with how to present themselves to the media. And I'm sure Joe Judge <laughs> tells the players what they should be sharing and what they shouldn't. So though I can guarantee you those conversations do take place. Okay, one last thing. My son said to be a, a really good caller, you have to be really good or you have to be really bad. And that's why Charlie <laughs> is the star of your show. I want to go back for bud. I appreciate it, Bruce. Thanks for the call, bud. Uh, he's right. Look, he, he's not wrong. Being being down the middle never gets you much notoriety, right? That's kind of just how the world works. 973-667-1960. We have another caller on the air real quick. Let's get to him. Caller, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? John, it's Dave from Cranford. How you guys doing? Dave, what's up, pal? Hi. Hey, man, the, the banter back and forth is so entertaining. Dave, your line's a little bit rough. We'll give this a try, but you might have to call back. Oh, okay. Dave? Sorry, John. How's that? That's a lot better. What do you got? Okay. Hey, so I'll, I'll be quick. Uh, two, two things. John, one thing. Could you text uh, Jeff and then tweet it out, like, what uh, course he played and what, what he shot this afternoon? Because he's got to be out on the golf course someplace. So that would <laughs> no, be... no. I think his wife probably has him working at the store. That might be true. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be good to know too. I'm just, I'm just somehow the, the weather and Jeff not being there just made me, made me think that. Um, re- real quick question for you guys, just to, just to comment on one thing, if you, just for fun, maybe this is up Lance's alley, and that is, it really fun to go back to all the rankings of teams um, last year going into this, going into this past season. Uh, just to kind of get an idea of how off um, these preseason things are, they're just they're just fun to go watch, you know. Just because, you know, I know we all get a kick out of them, but they're just they're just they're just a, a crack up when you you get these new rankings in May that don't really mean much. Oh yeah, I mean power rankings are useless. Look, just looking at the standings, right? I'll just go through it real quick. The Bills weren't maybe no one expected them to go thirteen and three, but I think people thought they were going to be good. Yep. Miami at 10-6, and six, maybe a slight overperform. Pittsburgh, Baltimore, not a surprise. Cleveland probably outperformed what people thought they would do. Uh, Tennessee and the Colts, I think that was pretty expected, right? Uh, Houston. Philly, Philly was a big underperform. Yeah, look, Philly underperformed because no one thought Carson Wentz would fall apart the way he did on the and offensive the line. Got hit with right, and the offensive line would fall apart the injuries, absolutely. Uh, the yep. NFC East was basically turned upside down. Basically, yep. what, who have, just just flip it. That's what people thought would happen. Mm-hmm. Yep. NFC North, I mean, I think that kind of went the way people thought, right? Packers, Bears, yep. Vikings, yeah, I think that was fine. NFC yep. South, Bucks and Saints at the top. I don't think that. I think people were surprised the Falcons were just 4-12. and 12. They probably thought they'd be better than that. And then out West, yeah, Seattle and the Rams at the top. You know, and the Niners had a million injuries, so they kind of dropped to 6-10. and 10. But, you know, last year, it's funny. Now that you mention it, I never looked at this. There are that many sore thumbs that people really had wrong heading into the season. Unless I'm missing, guys. Do you guys think I'm missing a team there or no? no. Well, seven new teams made the playoffs in 2020, just to give you an idea, compared to the previous year. So there was a lot of movement and change from the standings the previous year, but rankings fluctuate. You could have 20 different people do rankings, and they're going to be completely different. So it'd be impossible to take a look at all of the rankings. You'd really have to, to me, focus on one and see maybe if somebody in particular was off because there's going to be somebody that probably was not high on a team and that team actually turned out to not make the playoffs. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Yeah, I guess my point would be, well, I mean, mean, a lot to say about it, but I think one of the things is just that 
the amount of turnover you have on rosters from team to team, you know, 25, 30% on a, on a normal year. I mean, that's just that, that by itself. I mean, you might want to say that's the bottom of the roster, but in this case, the Giants, I think that turnover is more, you know, you could argue middle to top of the roster. Um, I, I just like to get you guys on one technical football question, and that sure. is I think a lot of the uh, success of the pass rush this past year in terms of guys getting home, particularly like a Leonard Williams. Uh, was really connected to the success of the secondary and and that and those two units being tied together and obviously you know I mean that's not rocket science you, you cover but that half a second or second longer of coverage has a really big impact on 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 you know guys getting home. I wonder the same thing in terms of being able to put the weapons on the outside of the field and spread the field a little bit more if that um, can't help the blocking assignments um, for the offensive line. There were times last year when you look at the tape that, you know, they just were were at, on, on typical passing downs. I mean, they, they just gave very little respect to the outside. And, and as a result, they were dealing with a lot of stunts and a lot of pressure. I'm wondering if, if you guys would see a benefit there to the to the pass blocking just by the fact of having more folks that are going to require uh, at least a, a higher degree of attention. And I'll leave you with that. Um, I think the key is not playing from behind and staying out of third and long. So I think that's, you know, I don't think it matters who's outside. Once you're playing from behind or you're in third and long, that's when teams can just start whipping out those stunts. And that's when things get problematic. I mean, do you maybe teams will blitz a little bit less because you have more weapons outside? Absolutely, but I think that to me, Paul would, and Lance would probably be the extent of the impact. Well, yeah, I mean, you look at the I, yeah, third down ahead, situations. Ahead. I think yeah, that's the big key. No, I, I I agree with that, John. I think for me, a, a lot of times, and look, I I I'm not going to get into Daniel Jones's head here. But I do think, as I have been preaching now for years, you know, he didn't have a skyscraper to throw the ball to. He didn't have guys who were really good at making contested catches. And I truly believe that as he was a young, maturing, and developing quarterback, that would have helped him get rid of the ball quicker earlier in his career had he had guys who he could trust more in those types of roles. And... I think that now you know that the skyscraper is there on Galloway. You know that he's a great contested catch guy. You know that um, Kyle Rudolph is a great contested catch guy. Tony's got very good hands. I think these, these elements that have now been added to the Giants receiving core will help Jones make quicker decisions, and that in itself makes the offensive line look better, if that makes any sense to you guys. Well, I follow where you're going. I just, if I look back at Daniel Jones's decision making, I don't think it was the fact that he didn't trust anybody. Because if you saw, it, he took chances. He didn't shy away from throwing the ball down the field. Okay, it wasn't necessarily always executed, which to me is a completely different thing. If there was hesitancy where he just wasn't throwing it down the field, then I think you know there's a bigger trend to maybe examine. I don't think it was a matter of him not trusting the weapons. I think it was just the lack of consistent execution down the field so you can make the argument with some of the new faces like a Kenny Galladay those 50-50 plays do they actually come down with the football more often than not and therefore that helps the efficiency of your offense I'm with you there but I don't think it was Daniel Jones saying hey I can't throw the ball down the field because I don't buy that any of these guys are going to come out and help me I didn't see any of that at least in my mind I mean it might force him to hold the ball a little bit longer if he's not willing to put the ball into smaller areas. But I'm with Lance. I think that's something he was willing to do. Yeah, I, look, I think I think just staying out of those bad situations. Look, we saw it. Like, the pass protection against Arizona looked fine until you're, you know, down two scores in the fourth quarter and you open up the offense and then everything goes to hell. So <laughs> I think, you know, keeping out of those situations and playing within yourself is, is probably the best way to do it. 973-667-1960. Hey, Giant fans, just a reminder to not to miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giant suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com suites for more information. 
I do have a Twitter question here before I get back to our caller that's on the line here. This is from Jacob. And I did not, I must have been screening a call or doing something else, Paul, while when this got asked yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, yesterday's show, someone mentioned that people are underestimating the Giants like they did the Knicks before last season. Uh, we could throw that out. I don't think that's necessarily accurate. Um, I'd love to hear who you guys think will be the Giants version of a Julius Randle who can put it all together and be an all pro caliber player that we're not thinking about. One, I think people, you know, think the Giants are going to do better today than we thought the Knicks were before the season started. That's number one. Number two, more importantly, who's the who could be the surprise guy that has talent but hasn't put it all together yet? I think if you're looking for potential nominees based on those comparisons, I think Evan Ingram's still on that list. I think Jabril Peppers is on that list. Lorenzo Carter, if he's healthy, is on that list. That was would probably be my O'Shane three. Zimenez, I think, is on that list. Yeah, I don't, he hasn't shown me enough to think that. Like, we saw a pretty high level of play for Lorenzo Carter the first few games last year before he got hurt. We haven't never seen that level of play from Zimenez yet which is why I'm not trying to put him there. But, yeah, I mean, he's going to his third year. It makes sense. Will Hernandez? Maybe a guy that you could think about putting on that list? Any other names come to mind for you guys? I'm going to Andrew Thomas. I okay. think Andrew Thomas is going to be one hell of a player, and I think he took a lot of ripping last year because the first half of his rookie season was very much checkered and up and down. See, I was trying to avoid the second-year guys just because – you know, Randall was kind of a vet. He was in the league five or six years before he had his big bump. It wasn't like oh, his okay. second so year in the league. Oh, okay, so you want to pick an older guy. No, but no, no, no. I, I think if you, if you yes, I, I agree. Paul, I completely agree with your premise. I agree with your premise. That's fair. Darius Slayton's entering year three. Yeah. So he'd be another one, considering some of the injuries he dealt with last the season. The problem and is the playing time with him, right? You well, that's what I'm saying. But So he could get. be a pleasant surprise, because yeah. if the snaps go down and other people are on the field, does he make the most of his limited opportunities? Yeah, all good choices. Nine. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Paul. You got something no, else? No, no. I, I think I think that's that's really the the toughest part about this is because how do you quantify or qualify the question? So I yeah I think all the guys that we talked about certainly are in a position to make a big step up. Nine seven. The other thing I was just going to add with respect to the NBA parallel. Remember, NBA players have to play both sides of the ball. They may not be effective on both sides of the ball, but they have far more of an impact on a game than an NFL player who only plays one facet. All right, we got another question here, actually. This one from James. He wants to know, the other one was from Jacob, by the way. This one from James. I feel like we never talk about our forgotten first-round pick, Dexter Lawrence. What does he need to do this year for the Giants to pick up his fifth-year option? What's his ideal role? What does he need to improve upon? And I'll just say be a more consistent pass rusher. I think he needs more penetration. That might be tougher this year if he goes into more of a nose tackle role, though with the Danny Shelton addition, maybe he's not going to go into that role, which will allow him to be you know, a little bit of a better pass rusher. The problem is that Leonard Williams plays that three technique on passing down so much, and that's where I think Lawrence would have the best chance of getting after the quarterback. You know, the fifth-year option for defensive tackles isn't huge. It isn't a deal where that's going to kill you. But I think it's a fair question. I would just say, for me, for Dexter Lawrence, guys, is just be a, a bit of a more of a consistent pass rusher. Your thoughts? Lance, why don't you go first? Yeah, I would certainly throw that in in terms of Derek's, Dexter Lawrence's outlook for the season. But to me, it's more of you know filling the void left behind by Dalvin Tomlinson, whether it's a combination of him and Danny Shelton. The whole point is you want to go into this season not really feeling the effects of the loss of Tomlinson. And Tomlinson was that type of player where you didn't talk a lot about him, mainly because he did a lot of the dirty work. So if Dexter can assume that role, then I would say he's having a very good season. The one question I still have about this defense entering this year, because everybody's focusing on the secondary and the versatility, are they going to pick up where they left off in terms of their ability to stop the run? And that's going to make or break what they could do on the back end. So Dexter in run support, to me, is far more imperative than perhaps what he brings as a bonus in getting after the quarterback. I think you're totally on point, Lance. I agree with every single thing you just said there because as far as I'm concerned, uh, the loss of Tomlinson is going to be felt, but the question remains how little. He was a very, very good player. Now, if the drop-off is just a fraction against the run, 
then the Giants' defense as a whole will be better because we believe they've added pass rushers and we believe they've added more to the secondary, which means the overall defense will improve this year and be a solid top 10 defense, if not higher. But the actual rush defense is probably going to take a little bit of a ding. They've got to avoid it taking a big ding. That's the whole key to this, and that's where Lawrence comes in. And I'll give you the perfect example. If you go back to last season with the New England Patriots, and I'm not bringing this up because of the Joe Judge-Patrick Graham connection. It's just this is how it played out last season. New England had a really good secondary. They dealt with some injuries last season, but they still had a very solid secondary, even with guys opting out. Where they hurt themselves last year was the inability to stop the run. And that took that defense, and that made that really good secondary not as detrimental and not as strong to opponents as it was viewed in previous years. So when you all of a sudden get thin up front, I would say you weaken the back end of your defense. So that's how I'm looking at the Giants' defense this year. I'm not questioning the secondary. I'm focusing more on you take Tomlinson out of the equation— Who's plugging in those holes? You plug in those holes effectively, then you don't have as much concerns on the back end. If you don't plug that hole in, teams are going to hone in on that. They're going to run the ball, and all of a sudden, they're going to force guys, that secondary, to creep up a little bit to help stop the run. And that's when, all of a sudden, you kill the Giants deep down the field. So, to me, can they stop the run? That's the huge X factor when I look at this defense. Yeah, I feel pretty good about guys like Shelton and Johnson stepping in there and and helping in in the run facet of it. And that's why I don't think Lawrence's role is necessarily going to change in terms of where he lines up. He might do a little bit more nose tackle stuff on passing downs and things like that. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Or playing they, that you they, know, zero technique. They all technique. need to, to make up for that loss of Tomlinson in the run game. If every guy plays to the back of his football card and then maybe just gives a little bit extra, the Giants likely won't feel much of a loss with Tomlinson gone. Well, that's and the that, goal. That's yeah. the goal. That's the goal. And that, to me, I'm with Lance. That's the number one priority on this defense if you're going to, as a whole, make it a better defense. Yeah, and I'll say this, too. That was one of the big strengths last year. They could play those two safeties deep, right? Mm-hmm. And sure. stop those passes over the top, but still stop the run with your front. So that'll be very important to try to do that again this year. Good questions. One more online. This one from Saracino. He says, don't sleep on Rodarius Williams. The problem with Williams is that I don't know how he's going to get on the field, barring an injury to a Dory Jackson or James Bradbury, because you have those two slot guys that are there and higher draft picks and I think more talented. But I got to be honest, his, his senior year tape was pretty good. I know he's 25. So I, I would have a modicum of confidence in him if you do need to plug him in outside if one of those two starters get hurt, simply because of his age and, you know, he has almost 50 starts in college. So he has a lot of experience. So I think he's a solid player. But if he's going to want to get a jersey, guys, he's going to have to contribute on special teams if he wants a jersey every Sunday. Bottom line. Mm-hmm. Very true. All right. And that's not necessarily an area that he contributed a lot to in college. Yep. So, you know, he's sort of a prove-it guy over the course of training camp to show the coaching staff that he can earn a spot on the field similar to a Gary Brightwell, who I referenced earlier. Brightwell, you know what you're getting out of him on specials. Radarius Williams is more of, okay, you know what he could do as a key starter, as an outside corner on defense throughout his career. Can he show enough on special teams to warrant getting a jersey and ultimately making the roster? A little bit more of a question mark for him in that degree compared to Brightwell. 973-667-1960. Back to the phones. Call. You're on the line. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, guys. This is Don from Texas. How you guys doing? Donnie, Hi. what's up? All right. I got three quick questions. I'll take it off the air, guys. Sure. All right. You guys kind of answered a little bit in the beginning, but if you would rather um, – the first question is, which position group outside of the quarterback position do you think can torpedo the whole season? I'm going to say running back. I say offensive line. Second question would you rather have a mid-tier ranking defense in the league or a top-five ranking offense? Because the way our division is set up, it's usually one or the other. It's never in between or both. And my third is a hypothetical question, and I don't know if you gentlemen can answer it. If you had the opportunity to trade for Aaron Rodgers to give him Daniel Jones, Barkley, and your two first-round picks next year, would you do it? I'll take my answer. Oh, boy. That's, first of all, I think honestly, I think the Packers would ask for more than <laughs> To be quite honest with you, if the Packers ever trade Aaron Rodgers, you are going to see a trade package going back to them like we've never seen before. 
it's going to be massive. Massive. Yeah, the only question I'm willing to answer there is number two, and I, and I would always take the defense. I, oh, I mean, but you would rather have a 15th-ranked defense than a top-five offense? Absolutely. Why? You ever see Dan Fouts and the Chargers play? Yeah, but they didn't have the fifth. Yeah, but. They had a phenomenal offense, and Dan Fouts could never sniff a Super Bowl because they never had the defense that was good enough to get them there. You can't have, you cannot have a Swiss cheese defense and expect to compete. Yeah, but it just it, it can't happen. Yeah, but you also can't have a terrible offense. So you're assuming that your offense is a middling offense with that. Well, that was, but that wasn't defense. his qualification. His qualification is if you could have one or the other, I will take the middle of the road defense and take my chances. Hmm. I'm an old school guy, John. I'm always going to be based on defense. I know, but it, but if you're but if you're elite on one side of the ball, it gives you a lot of margin for error on the other side. I don't. I don't. I'm not going to disagree with that premise, but I'm always going to favor defense. I grew. I grew up under Parcells. What do you well, expect I, no, from but me? The question isn't a 15th ranked offense or a 15th ranked defense. The question is a fifth ranked offense or a 15th ranked defense. That's I think you could the, argue that's the yeah, difference. The fifth ranked offense is probably going to make more of an impact over the course of your season than a fifteenth ranked defense. Right, that's my point. I, I think in an ideal world, you'd like to know what the complementary pieces that you're working with are. Correct, yes. But I think a fifth-ranked offense, I would argue, could make up for, even if you had the 25th-ranked defense, similar to what Kansas City went through, I would argue, maybe two to three years ago, there was enough scoring where they were in just about every game. And yeah, you walked that tightrope, but you felt good. We get the ball back to Mahomes, we could score late. You have a 15th-ranked defense, and let's say your offense is 20th, how much confidence do you have in that 20th-ranked offense making up enough when your defense is middle of the pack? So See, I would probably lean towards the fifth-ranked offense. You have to throw a caveat into this, and I know it's now getting very complex and complicated here, but I will only take that offense if it's got a devastating Godzilla power running game where I can control the clock for 35 minutes every single week. Now, if you're going to tell me my fifth-ranked offense can do that and keep my miserable defense off the field – then I will take that offense. All right, Paul. But that's the only way I'm taking it. Hold on. I'm going to play a game with you right now, okay? We're going to play a game. I'm going to bring up some stats here. Last year, do you want me to use points or yards per game, yards per play for defensive rankings? Your choice. What do you want to use? John, John, it doesn't matter because you're going to cite for me some specific instances where maybe the numbers work the other way. I'm not not doing it. No, I'm not. That, that, That is not what I'm doing. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Paul, last year, would you rather have the Packers offense or would you rather have the, let's see, New England Patriots defense? See, the Pack, I, I'm, taking the, I'm taking the Patriots because the Packers offense is built around Rodgers. I don't want a, a top five offense built around a quarterback throwing the it ball around like a video with game. Aaron Jones, you know, I know Aaron Jones had a good year, but that's not a that is not an offense built around the power running game that controls the ball for thirty five minutes a game. If you're going to give me that, I'll take it. You realize that offense doesn't exist in the NFL, right? Well, not right now. Not right now. It doesn't. It used to exist in All the right, old so days. So how about this? Even better. Even better. I'll give you. The, I'll give you Tennessee's offense. Do you want Tennessee's offense or do you want New England's defense? <sighs> Tennessee was the third-ranked offense in the league last year. Even better. And how and how and how much did they, they control were what, the third clock based for? on total yardage? I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because they were fourth based on points. And what, what and was their time four, of possession? And they were fourth based on yards per play. Their time of possession. That's what I, that's what I'm telling you. Uh, Thirty. Uh, they actually they did not have a great time of possession. Bingo. So I'm not taking them. But it's a power run game. Yeah, but but the power run game is meant to control the clock. If they did not do it, so Paul, you then they were not effective so enough you, for you, me. So you're literally not trying to score points, is what you're telling me. <laughs> oh, I'm very happy scoring points, but I want to. Cont- I, if I don't know how good my defense is going to be, then I need to know I can control the ball at least 33, 34 minutes. I'd love to have it for 35 which is a dominant number, which is very hard to do. But if I don't know how good my defense is, I want those suckers on the bench, and I don't want them on the field. You're acting you know like what's interesting offense about doesn't matter. The whole time look, of possession. Look, I got Lombardi in my blood. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. 
He was okay. an offensive coordinator. <laughs> Just the way it is. Yeah, but Lombardi believed in power running game and control the clock. Bart Starr was not flinging the ball around like Whoa. a Magnavox television, like an Xbox uh, video game. What's the last team that won a That's Super Bowl? That's not what they do. What's the last team that actually won a Super Bowl or went deep in the playoffs that did that? I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not going here, John. Look, I've, I've told you, asked me a question. I gave you an answer. There's no point debating it because I'm not changing. By the way, Tampa Bay was 21st in time of possession last season, just to mm-hmm. give you an idea. And you know me. I'm not a big fan of time of possession. I think it's irrelevant. It's all about do you score points, synonymous with time of possession. And, 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 if- and what happened in that game? The team that controlled the trenches, which is another football sure. 101. But that has nothing, nothing to do with necessarily yeah, time of possession. Th- those are two completely different yeah. things. Right, right. But, but see, this is why the game is a spider web. It is, a, it is a bunch of dominoes. It has so many tentacles, and there are so many things. That's why any question you guys ask in this regard is stupid because there are too many tentacles that you have to consider. By the, the way, question as you asked it makes no sense. By the way, Paul, last year Green Bay led the league in time of possession. Okay, fine. So, so does that change your answer since they led the league in time I of possession? I have no answer because <laughs> the question does not, it does not take into account all of the other tentacles. It was dumb for me to even answer the question because it's not relevant. All right, how about, how about the first one he asked? If there's one position group that you're worried about the most that could, you know, put a hinder on the season in general, which position group are you worried about the most? Yeah, it's got to be the O-line. You're right. Lance? Yeah, I think it's the offensive line because if that unit struggles, it really doesn't matter how great your toys are on offense, which I've said multiple times. And I'll be willing to answer the Aaron Rodgers question uh, unlike somebody else, because I'm not going to shy away from that. First of all, no matter what the Packers get in return for Aaron Rodgers, it will never match Aaron Rodgers. Let's make that clear. Number two, they're not going to trade him within the NFC. So that's a pipe dream to begin with. And if they're going to move him, and they're going to move him to the AFC. And Dave Gettleman said he's not doing it anyway. So Well, that's another reason. Yeah. But I'm, I'm just entertaining the question for the sake of what the caller proposed. And, you know, the other thing is they just acquired Jordan Love in the draft. So what exactly giving them Daniel Jones does for them, I have no idea. And they just signed Aaron Jones long-term, didn't they? Yeah, and once again, you're adding another running back and you're adding a quarterback to positions that they already have young investments in. So if you're the Packers under that circumstance, I'd probably ask for maybe somebody on defense who's attractive, a proven commodity, and I would probably ask for a few more draft picks. That's probably what I'd be looking at if I'm Green Bay as opposed to taking – your extra quarterback and running back since you don't necessarily need him anymore because you'd be adding Aaron Rodgers. All right, Paul and I have to get to the facility, so I'll ask one more fun goodbye question before we say goodbye. Week one, is Aaron Rodgers the starting quarterback for the Green Bay Packers? Paul? Yes. Lance? Yes. I'm going to say no because I think Aaron Rodgers is so stubborn that he would rather not play and give back his signing bonus than go back and play for them. I don't see that. I don't think he'll retire or sit out a season simply because he's that irritated. I think that's who he is. And normally, you know me, for me, it's all about the Benjamins, right? When it comes down to what people will give him because of the money, listen to Brett Favre. All right, what did he say? (laughs) When Aaron gets his mind set on something, it ain't changing. That's true. It ain't changing. Yeah. That's, I just find it hard to believe that a guy coming Rogers. off an MVP season, I'm not even looking at it from a financial standpoint, he's playing at an MVP level still at this age that he would be willing to take a seat on the sideline and be a spectator it's, and just watch. It seems unfathomable. I agree. I remember when John Riggins sat out a year on the Jets and then wound up coming back and playing with Washington. Hey, Carson Palmer with the Bengals. Yeah. It, 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 well, it's... Palmer got traded midway through that season, ultimately, right. and then right. went to the Raiders. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. I mean, guys do force the hand of teams. It well, but here's happen. the difference. See, with Carson Palmer, the Bengals drafted Andy Dalton. Dalton started a number of games and proved to be a very good quarterback. So it made it then easier for them to move on from Carson Palmer. If Aaron, let's say, does sit out the first 
four games. Jordan Love goes out there and balls like crazy. You know, maybe it's a little bit easier for them to move on from Aaron Rodgers. But at this point, Green Bay's not in the same position as Cincinnati because they have no idea what the hell they have out of Jordan Love. Remember, though, my question wasn't will Aaron Rodgers be traded before week one. My question was will Aaron Rodgers be starting for the Packers in week one. No, I get it. But I'm also at least taking into consideration Green Bay's mindset, meaning Aaron, to me, has a whole lot of leverage right now because Green Bay has no idea what's behind door number two. They don't. They don't even have a preseason game to go by with Jordan Love. Hell, he didn't even receive a jersey last year. He wasn't even dressing as a backup quarterback last year. Well, I mean, okay? so I, see, I disagree. I think Green Bay holds all the leverage in this situation because you can do all sorts of things financially to make Aaron Rodgers pay for this as painfully as possible. I mean, you can make it hell on him not to play. He has no leverage. In this situation. Well, yeah, meaning because he's going to have to give back money if he holds out. I get it from that standpoint. But I'm talking about from an X's and O's standpoint. Well, yeah, of course. Aaron Rodgers, to me, has an immense amount of leverage. I You're going I, from an MVP candidate to the land of the unknown? Well, here's the thing. There's no way Green Bay has any leverage there. It sounds an awful lot to me. Like, for Aaron Rodgers to play for the Packers this year, they have to fire the general manager. Do you think the Packers fire the general manager to get I don't Aaron think Rodgers they should do the that. Field? But do you think I they will? Do, that. do you think they will? I don't find it in a position where they would do that. I think Green Bay is very old school. I don't see them doing that to appease one player regardless of who he is. So my question for you then, what do you think the – and I'll ask both of you guys this, but both of you guys said yes to the question. I'm going to get lunch, John. No, I'll no. see you in a No, Paul, 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 real quick. What's the process here? What do you think happens to get Rodgers on the field? Does he just give in or do the Packers do something for him? He gives in. Okay. Lance? Yeah, I think Aaron realizes that this is the best environment for him to win the division, get back to the playoffs, compared to anywhere else he goes. So I think he'll come to his senses. And the other thing is, Aaron, you may say, is stubborn. Aaron also, to me, likes to have the last laugh. And I think that there's no better position for him to look up at the skybox with Brian Gutekunst, if indeed he doesn't like him, go out there, win another MVP trophy, and better yet, win a Lombardi trophy. You're going to tell me that's not more satisfying than going to Denver and doing it there? Doing it in the backyard of the guy you dislike? I mean, there's Rod- no better place to do it. I mean, how do we Bay. even care about what Aaron Rodgers does? Seriously, it's great. Well, we're Bay. talking about the NFL. Have a What's good day, fellas. All right, guys. It's unbelievable how he yeah, does I, that. I don't understand. Every time. Paul, I, I don't understand why you're so mad about this one. I don't. Yeah. All right. Thanks for being with us for another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live on this Friday on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. For Lance Meadow and Paul Dottino, I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you next time for another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live.